So this morning we are in, uh, this is the third week, I believe, in our series. Um, it's three Oxford for Easter as we talk about our journey in Lent and uh, this idea of renewed desire. This idea that desire, like, like it says on the bumper, desire is this starting point for where we want to go in life. I think about um, when I was in my 20s. You know, I was young and out of college. Um, my first job was as a software engineer, and um, I, I longed, I had this desire to be competent. You know, you go into your first job, and you want to be seen as competent. You want to have your stuff together. I wanted the respect of my peers. Uh, I wanted to be significant. You know, I wanted to do something significant, and I just really wanted to impress others, you know, with what I knew and how I knew it. Um, I was 23 and fresh out of college. My boss came to me, I worked for Rite Aid Corporation, my boss came to me, they were designing a new dis pharmacy dispensing system, so that's basically all the stuff that you think like, hey, why does it take so long to get my pills? Well, I designed this software that makes it long for you to get your pills. So, um, so anyway, my boss came to me and he said, listen, we have this part of our, the software um, that essentially keeps people from dying. Like, essentially, it's the stuff that checks, like, do you, are you taking two drugs that are going to kill you? Are you allergic to these drugs? Are, are you taking drugs that imply you might be taking, having a symptom that if you take this other medication that you're about to take will also harm you? So like all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and 23 was a few years ago. And so um, for me, and so um, this was cutting edge stuff. Like there had not been this kind of data available to do this stuff. And so, so he said, uh, you, this is your project, get it done. You know, and so that moment that you thought, like, I really want to impress others, and then you realize, I better not mess this up. Like, this is not like, hey, if that doesn't work, you can't print your document, right? This is like, if this doesn't work, like, right, people die. Like, I, I, I felt this enormous pressure, and so I got to be a part of this, and um, it became my thing for a while, and, uh, but I still remember when we, we showed this dispensing system, and, you know, we're down, and it's... At this point, you know, for those of you who don't even know what a mainframe was or how, what that looked like, it, it, to you it would not have been impressive at all. But back then, it was super impressive, right? Like, it was like holographic back then for what you think now. Anyway, but it was, we're, we're showing this and the VPs are in the room and I get to step up and stick out my chest and show them how this part of the system works, you know? And I was like, wow, this is super, have you had these kind of moments in your life where you're like, wow, I get this moment to kind of step into the spotlight for a second and now hope this, and you're crossing your fingers, make, hope everything works and nothing goes bad. And then you realize, you know, after that moment that anything goes wrong with this thing, you know, because this is, we haven't rolled it out to stores yet, like anything goes wrong with this. Just one thing. And if, you, if you're a programmer, you know this, you're one keystroke away from something terrible. Right? Like you're a period or a semicolon away from something going terribly wrong. And you've heard these stories of like, oh my goodness, like this is, I realized this is a moment and felt that, ugh. Right? And this is the problem with this whole thing that we all value. You, we all relate to this. Don't you relate to that? Like that desire to be like, I want to be competent. I want to be, be impressive. I want to please other people. I want to be seen as something. We all relate to that. And yet, you've also been in those places where someone says one word to you. You did this really great thing. Someone says one word to you of critique, and you feel diminished. Like, it's all you can remember. 
from that moment. I mean, as pastors, right, like, you, some of you know Billy Graham, and you, you recognize that name, and he passed away. And, you know, pastors, we look at Billy Graham, we're like, man, what an amazing man. I'll never, like, he's, like, way up here, and I'm way, like, I'll never be like that. That's, he's amazing. You, like, you do that in your life, too, right? You compare. You go, wow, what, what am I? Because it is a natural human condition. I know that I'm not alone, in it, and I know that you're not alone. In it. Our desire to be seen as valuable or to be seen as impressive, to be seen by others and to say, man, look, look what I am so we can feel valuable, to gain that. And yet, the one thing I also know is something happens in that when it comes to your desire for God. You get distracted, maybe even derailed in your desire for God when you have a desire to be impressive in front of others. And so here's my hope this morning. As we explore this morning's passage and what we're going to talk about, that we can all gain a little bit more understanding of our desires and where that desire sits in us and what that means for us in terms of our desire for God. And maybe that we can explore and really long for and hope for the possibility of what Psalm 42 says, that as the deer pants after the water, so my soul pants for you, God. I thirst for you, God. I long for you, God. When can I go and meet with God? To have that kind of desire for the God of the universe who created you and desires you, to, for you to have that kind of desire for him means that you need to be real and explore what are the other desires in my life that are keeping me from that, that are derailing me, that are distracting me. So this is what we're going to explore today. Because desire is the starting point what you want most in life. And if you don't know what your desire is, and you're not tuned into it, you go whatever direction you're being led, and you don't even know. And so that's why it's so important for us to explore it. And so this morning, this is what we're going to explore, this desire that we all have in common, right? To be impressive. To have people adore us, to look to us, to please them, to find acceptance there, whatever it is for you. And so we're going to look in this passage in Matthew chapter 20. You'll find it in your outline. You can open up your Bible, your Bible app and uh, turn to Matthew 20, 20, and we're going to look at that this morning. And in it, Jesus asked this question, and this is the question that we, I'm asking you to sit with throughout this whole next 20 minutes, is this one question. Do you desire to be great in the eyes of others, or do you desire to be great in the eyes of God? This is the question that Jesus asked of his disciples. What a hard question. Do you desire to be great in the eyes of others? I want you to be great in the eyes of God because it means some different things. Who doesn't want to be great in the eyes of others? Who of us hasn't had that be part of our life? And that's just not an American culture thing. It's not a male and female thing. It has been with human nature all along. So you shouldn't be surprised that two of Jesus' closest friends and followers had this problem. They, they were being derailed by this desire. And in fact... All 12 of the guys that were closest to Jesus fought about this on a regular basis. Throughout the Gospels, it is recorded over and over and over. Whenever they're fighting, do you know what they're fighting about? Who's the greatest? Who's the best? Who's the most impressive? This is the only thing they really fight about. Over and over again. Now, before we get jump into Matthew 20, let me give you a little context. To be fair to the disciples, okay? Because they're not on equal footing with you. 
So today, when you hear someone say, you're humble, what do you feel like? Is that a compliment? Right? It's not an insult, is it? When someone says, I really appreciate it. I really, I really admire your humility. It's a, it's a compliment, right? And it's kind of a weird compliment because you're like, wait, if I feel too good about this, am I no longer humble? Like, what do I, what do, I do with this? You know? And so we feel this way. But in Greek-Roman culture, in the time when, when the disciples lived, this was not a compliment at all. In fact, when someone said the word humility, the only word that was close to it, the only concept that was close to it in Greek or Roman culture, in the Jewish culture, would have been humiliation. This concept of humiliation of like shame or crushed or debased. This is the only Greek word that they have to kind of describe humility at the time is crushed or debased. Humility doesn't have the same flavor as it does today. And in fact, the word that's the, the same kind of value, like the, what you feel when someone says, ah, you're, I really appreciate your humility. That kind of compliment in the Greek Roman culture actually came with a, with a word that actually meant the love of honor. This is what people sought. It wasn't humility they sought. It was the love of honor, to be honored by others. So in the Jewish culture, that meant, what is my position in the religious ranks? What is my place in the, my, in the lineage, in my tribe, where I stand with others, in my father's family. Like, this is where they were coming from. This is the love of honor. This was what culture valued. And it's part of our human nature. And so, for them, this is where they're at. So this first century human condition, it's a lot like today, because it, we, we measure today, and we, we might admire humility, but the truth is, for most of us today, right, we still measure importance based on what? Prestige, right? What's, what's my prestige rating? What's my popularity rating? Um, what's, what's my achievement rating? Like, we're American culture, right? We do things like, yeah, I don't have to, what's the American dream? I don't have to have, be up here in this class. I can achieve that class through all my achievements, right? I can get there. I, that is the American dream. And we still ask the same questions today. So, today as we look at this one example in Matthew 20, it's, it's kind of, it's funny in some ways because um, it strikes me as funny just because, have you, how many of you have seen the Goldbergs? Anybody Goldberg fan, watchers? Man, some of you guys need to get out more and watch, stop streaming on Netflix and watch the network TV shows, right? The Goldbergs, go, go stream the Goldbergs. It is hilarious. Anyway, it's super funny, and there's this character on it called Beverly Goldberg, and she is like a helicopter mom, right? She is always over her kids, and she's always like promoting them, and Apparently, this is James and John's mom when, when it comes to Jesus, right? Like, this is who's going to, like, Beverly Goldberg, when her kids mess up at school, the principal's like, oh, no. No, no, it's Beverly Goldberg coming in. Let me try to run away because she's here to defend her kids and say her kids are always right and they can do no wrong. And this is James and John's. I kind of picture their mom a little bit in this place. So here's where you find them. James and John have been following Jesus for a while. Their mom has kind of come along. Now, James and John are known as the sons of thunder. Now, we, I think everybody always assumes that's their dad they're talking about, but maybe not, right? Maybe it's mom. I don't know. So here's the scene. They're coming to Jesus, not by themselves, right? They've had this argument, who's the greatest, who's most impressive. They come to Jesus with their mom. Their mom's kind of maybe got them in tow. Okay, Matthew 20, 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons 
came to Jesus with her sons, kneeling down, and asked a favor of him. And this word, asked a favor, actually means to express a desire. So she expressed this desire, said, Jesus, you know, I really want something. And he says, okay, verse 21, what is it that you want, he asked. And she said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit on your right and one on your left in the kingdom. Wow. How many, anybody got this kind of mom? Like, I, like, like really, like, like, hey, here's what I would like. I would like, you know, the disciples have been having this argument. I'm just, I'm just going to put my case before you. Can you do me a favor? My sons, listen, Jesus, we both know they're the greatest. Like we, right? Like you're, you're in on this, right? Like you know that they're really the greatest. So why don't you put one on your right to rule on your right and one of them to rule on your left in the kingdom, right? You, I'll give you the choice. You can pick James or John for either of those positions, but those are the gods, right? My, and my first reaction to that is like, probably like you, like, that's pretty bold, right? Coming to Jesus and saying, my God, James and John, they're, they're who should rule. They should be with you. Here's my desire. And underneath this desire is more than just ruling, right? It's this, it's this place of prominence. It's this desire to say, will you put them in a place where they can be impressive? Where people will see them and they will be liked. And they will be admired. And people will go, wow. And this is, this is essentially, right, that when the disciples all argue about this, when we want this impressiveness, when I wanted that thing as a young software engineer, it wasn't because, like, oh, I need to be, like, I just want to do good for others, right? It was, I want to feel impressive to others. I have this deep-seated need because I don't know if I'm really impressive. I don't know if I'm really significant. But maybe if others think I am, I will be. That's a familiar question for all of us. Jesus, can you put me in a place of significance so that others can admire me? So that I can be impressive? Haven't you ever had that, those kind of thoughts? Let me translate them for you. I deserve a raise. I work hard. Doesn't anyone around here see the kind of things I do? Sound familiar? I deserve a promotion. How, don't people see what, how, how the kind of work that I'm doing? How about this one? My kids should be playing in the top spot. What in the world is that band teacher thinking, that coach thinking like, you know, and, you, and then you find yourself wishing like not success on the team because your kid's not in the place. Like we all have these things and those might be a little bit more extreme for you than you really are, but we all have this challenge. And it shows up in other places in our life, too. It shows up for me. Like, when you meet someone, do you like me? You go, I wonder what they thought of me. Does that thought come to your mind? What did they think of me? What was my first impression? Or when you get up, if you're, if you're in the public speaking thing like this, right, every week I get up, you can't help but think, like, yeah, how badly is this going to go, right? Like, like, Am I going to, you know, so I was talking to someone this past week, and they really enjoyed the message last week. They were like, man, that was so good. I'm like, yeah, I can't hit a home run every week. Like, don't, don't raise the bar too high on me, right? Like, I, like, every, like, we all have this in our own areas. We, when we post something on social media, do you know what they say about, like, our, our, the, the next generation, when they post something on social media, 
and no one likes it, they go out and post it again because they assume, well, maybe no one saw it. Because how are we measuring ourselves? To be admired. How many likes did I get? How many people saw it and said, yeah. We still measure ourselves that way. We all ask it. It is it's almost part of our DNA. And one of the most difficult things, you're a follower of Jesus here today. You know what the most difficult thing about being a follower of Jesus is? The following part. The part where you don't get out ahead of Jesus to say, look at me. But you step behind Jesus and say, look at him. Look at Jesus. I wanna, I, Jesus, I want to step and I want to walk like you. It's really hard. So here's something to consider. I want you to think about this. This, this kind of rewinds the tape for me. Think about Jesus' life for a second. So Jesus, we think of, like, he changed the whole course of history. Probably the most famous person who's ever lived. Well-known in every culture and every religion. Jesus is born into a carpenter's family in Nazareth. Unknown. Jesus, until age 13, Pretty much in the scripture, you get his birth and you get nothing till age 13 where he's in the temple and he has this conversation with some religious leaders. And then he disappears again. And you hear nothing from him. Not in his teenage years. Not in his 20s. It's not until he's almost 30. It's like 17 years later. So from 13 to 30, you have nothing. And then he shows up while his cousin, John the Baptist, who is well-known, is preaching. And do you know how many people recognize him? No one. No one knows who he is except for John the Baptist, who the Spirit, Holy Spirit reveals to. And John the Baptist is overwhelmed. And Jesus says, baptize me. And John the Baptist says, I'm not even worthy to untie your shoes. Well, let's baptize you. I know who you are. Anonymous. That's what describes the life of Christ. Anonymous. And even as he walks with God, even as he begins to succeed in ministry and do these miracles, over and over and over again, who is he pointing to? Father, Father, the Father, anonymous. In other words, he says, I, I won't have my, even in Jesus, says, I won't have my desire derailed by being impressive, but rather by pointing to the Father have my desire before God, God alone. So this is what, this is what happens for Jesus. He gets baptized. You know what, do you know what happens at his baptism? Anybody remember the words that are spoken at his baptism? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now I want you to think about this. What has Jesus achieved in his life to that point? Nothing. Nothing. No miracles, no impressiveness, no crowds, no followers, nothing. And God says, I am well pleased. Think about that. What impressed God? That Jesus is his son. See, this is essential. If you really want to understand how to overcome this, it starts in this moment, you understanding that you are impressive to God, not for what you do, but because you are His. Because He created you. 
because he invites you to live as his beloved, to understand what it means to be loved. This is the importance of baptism. This is why, it's why, like, if you come to Christ, the importance of baptism is you saying and understanding that this is never, you've never, like, you've come to Christ, but then you never took that step in baptism. The importance of that step is to say, I now renounce that I am not, I'm on my own, I am in the family of God, and God is saying to me today, you are my beloved, not for what I do. All the crap in my life is still here, and God's saying, I wash it away, I love you. Love you. Where it starts for us, the invitation from God to say, You are my loved son, my loved daughter. And that's enough. We're impressive because we're His, we're His creation. Now, when it comes to like this whole desire that kind of side derails us, sidetracks us to be impressive to people, and we all have it in some way or another. Here's what I've, I, I was thinking about in my 20s, what that was like. And the best description I can give you is what it felt like for me is chasing a ball downhill. You know, when you're chasing the ball downhill and it's just like you're running after it and the whole time you feel like I got to be on my toes so I don't like fall over the ball and I got to try to stop the ball, but this is going to be totally awkward. And I'm just, I just keep chasing and running after it. And it's exhausting because the ball doesn't slow down. Right? It's not slow. It just keeps going down the hill. And that's, that's how I live my life for a long time. Because trying to impress lots of people, trying to stay on your toes all the time, is exhausting. And it is like chasing a ball downhill. And no matter how hard you run, no matter how much you try to prove yourself, it never seems like you can be good enough. And good enough doesn't last very long. And if you chase that desire long enough, you won't be chasing God anymore because you don't have any energy left for that. All you have the energy for is to chase that desire, and that's why Jesus points us away from it. That's why Jesus says, point your desire towards God. Don't focus on yourself. He says, renew your desire to be great in God's eyes by decreasing your desire to be great in the eyes of others. Renew your desire to be great in the eyes of God and to follow Him by decreasing your desire to be great in the eyes of others. This passage goes on and the scene continues to develop. And when Jesus, when J James and John are, are there and their mom's there and this is how Jesus responds to them, He says, listen, you don't know what you're asking. Jesus says to them, you have no idea what you're asking for here, to be on the right and to be on the left. You have no idea how that's going to sidetrack you and derail you. You have no idea what getting there even means in the kingdom because you think it's about being impressive. But that's not what it's about in the kingdom. He says to them, can you drink the cup that I am going to drink? Can you drink the cup of sacrifice and suffering that I'm about? Can you follow me? Remember I said the part that's hard with Jesus, being a Jesus follower, is the following part. Jesus is saying, can you follow in my footsteps? It's saying I lay down my life for others. I'm not going to be number one. I'm going to point to others. And they say, well, sure, we can do that. They don't, they don't even have any idea. They're still totally after lunch. We can, they answered. And Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup. And they did. 
they endured great suffering in following Jesus. They were martyred in following Jesus. But at that point, they understood and they did it gladly and willingly because they loved Jesus. They understood that they really were loved by Jesus. So Jesus says to them, you'll indeed drink from this. But to sit at my right, my left, that's not for me to grant. These places belong to those who have been prepared by my Father. Now remember, this is not the first time they've initiated this conversation, right? Jesus has walked with these guys for a long time. And the disciples are always, they're fighting about this all through the thing. They're always talking about this. And when Jesus gives them this answer, it's not the answer they're looking for. Because what he says is, listen, the most honored positions in the kingdom, the ones that impress God the most, are the places where you've served and suffered for others the most. Not where you've been most impressive, but where you've been most loving and sacrificial. And see, this is, this is the great challenge of the gospel, that laying down our desire to live for the sake of our own greatness, laying down the desire to live for what others think of us, this is the great challenge of the gospel. This is the difference in the gospel. This is the difference in just religious. This is what the gospel is transformative about, is to say the message of the gospel is sacrificial love. Say, I, I love others. I'm going to lay down my life for others. I'm going to lay down my reputation for others. I'm going to lay down what people think of me for others. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to care about the power. I'm not going to care about the prestige, the popularity. It's not going to be about me. It's going to be about others. Because do you know why I can do that? Because God's already about me. It's hard to live for others and sacrifice for others unless you know that God has already sacrificed for you. That God already loves you. And so that's why Jesus gladly asks us to exchange those desires. Say, don't, don't live to be great in the eyes of others. Live to be great in the eyes of God. This is the message of the gospel, right? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. He gave and he gave and he gave everything and he sacrificed everything on our behalf. And Jesus knows that the result of focusing on our own greatness is not what we think. It's not greatness at all. In fact, verse 24 kind of tells us a little bit of what happens when we focus on our own greatness. When the ten heard about this, so the other ten disciples that are following Jesus, they hear about James and John's mom and them coming. Like, how embarrassing, right? Like, dudes, you, your mom, you, you got your mom to go? Like, I have no words, right? Like, I, I can't even imagine this conversation. But this is what it says. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant, right? They were like, yeah, what? I mean, wouldn't this be your reaction? You guys did what? I thought we were on the same team here. You know, you know what some of them were thinking too? Darn it, why didn't I think of this, right? I could have beat them to there. I could have had my mom, and my mom would have been so much better at asking than their mom. Listen, here, here's the deal. Trying, here, and this is what Jesus says, I, this is why he's warning us. This is, part of this warning, trying to increase our own value, trying to work on that ourselves doesn't increase our love for God or our love for others. But it does distance us from Him. 
When you try to increase your own value, when you try to step out there and stick it, go, look at me. It doesn't increase your love for God. Because what you're doing is saying, Jesus, get behind me. I need to be impressive. What you're saying is, my desire to be impressive to others is more important than my desire to be impressive to God. Because what God says is impressive is not you standing out and being impressive to others. What God says being impressive is you stepping back and saying, how do I serve? How do I sacrifice? And when you do it, it will distance you from others. That's why humility is so attractive. Because when you serve others and you sacrifice for others, they find that attractive. They go, wow, this is someone I really can admire. You want to be valued by others? You want to be significant? Then you must love and value. This is Jesus' lesson. His warning is, be careful to seek the praise of other people because in doing so, that desire might outgrow your desire to seek the praise of God. It's a big warning. So what can we do? What can we do to change this? Because this is what Jesus wanted to do. This is the whole lesson of today. This is the, in this passage, if there's one thing we can learn from Jesus, it's Jesus' warning to say, guard your hearts. James and John, guard your heart. I don't want you going over and being derailed. I don't want you missing out on all that God has for you. Guard your heart from this desire to constantly increase your greatness in the eyes of others. Guard your heart so that you're not carrying this heavy burden. Because if everybody, if, you gotta, if you're always worried about pleasing everybody, that's a lot of people. And ain't nobody ever going to be pleased. And you're going to work really hard on it. It is a heavy burden to carry. So Jesus basically says, listen, guys, renew your desire for God by decreasing your desire to be great in the eyes of others. In other words, and this, is, this is great. This is like kind of Jesus saying to them, listen, the path to transformation, the path to knowing God and being transformed to be more like him is not the path of ascent. It's the path of descent. It's saying, I'm willing to decrease. And it's interesting when we look at this passage. As much as the disciples fight over who's the greatest, you might think that Jesus should address their self-image like, you guys think a little too highly of yourself. Like, you guys have this, maybe you thought, they, well, they must have a really positive self-image. I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. But Jesus chooses not at all to address self-image. His approach is rather to address the human problem that exists in them and in us. And that's this. We think far too much about ourselves and not enough about others. Even in thinking, like even helping others far too often, we're so worried about what they think. We're still thinking, of, we're still thinking about ourselves and what they think of us than just saying, I want to think about you. I'm just doing this for you. I don't get anything out of this myself. Because that's what love is, right? Love isn't manipulative. Love doesn't do something to get something back. Love is, I give this to you freely. I offer it to you without anything back. Isn't that essentially what Jesus did on the cross? Isn't that what God did for us? 
He needs nothing from us. He offered us something in which we can never repay. And in following Jesus, this is the invitation that we might do the same. Look at Jesus' response as he explains this to his disciples to help them understand. I want you to get this. He says this in verse 25. Jesus called them together and he said, and he just calls all the disciples together. He said, I know you guys have been talking about this. I know you've been fighting about this. I want you to understand this. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. That the high officials exercise their authority over them. But not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant. And whoever wants to become first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. We all experience what it means to step up and look, look at me, look what I have, look what I can do. But Jesus says, not so with you. Be a servant. Not large and in charge, but rather humble, small, and say, how do I serve you? How do I love you? It's a whole new way of thinking. Jesus says, if you want to be great, and when he says, if you want to be great, he's talking about kingdom greatness, the word actually means exceedingly great. Like, not just if you want to be pretty good. It's like, if you want to be exceedingly great, if you want to stand out amongst everything in the kingdom, if you want to be really impressive in the kingdom, then you're going to have to seek to be a servant. In Luke 22, the same thing is recorded in the way Luke records. He says, if you want to be exceedingly great, then you must seek to be exceedingly small, the least, minute. This word servant means like errand runner, right? Like waiter. Like, and it's also translated as minister, minister of the gospel. Be a servant, be a minister of the gospel who says, I don't need to impress others. Just Jesus. Just following Jesus. I just want to get behind Jesus. I just want to chase God's greatness and not my own. Jesus' solution here to his disciples is essentially decrease your desire for greatness by becoming a servant. Choose to be a servant. Now, there's one, I want to, I want to point out one other thing here, and this, this is, this is Rewind through Matthew to Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, there's this other scene, and it is a scene, some of you might remember it, where the, the disciples are looking and they're walking by and they see these religious leaders, these Pharisees, and they are praying aloud and they're performing these good deeds in front of lots of people and they're saying impressive words and it's really, really cool and they think they're pretty, like, wow, this is, and this is what, and the disciples are kind of admiring it and Jesus confronts them. Maybe you remember this scene, Jesus confronts them and says, this is not at all impressive. In fact, the words that he uses there, one of the words he actually uses there is theater. That you are performing in a theater. That all of your prayers are like a theater performance. And it's not at all impressive to God. You might be impressing others, he says, but you're not impressing God. Your many words don't impress God. And this word theater that Jesus uses, might, we might use a different word. Viral, right? Like, have you, have you seen these videos? I think about all these videos today. And, you know, it's cool that these guys do this. But, like, I'm, we, we got this video, and we tipped that waitress $200, and then we filmed it, right? And if you watch the video, what do you see? 
okay, let me make sure I'm in the picture, right? Like, here we are, look, here's our waitress, right? And then we film it afterwards, and we film how the waitress comes out and hugs us. That's a great deed. You know, I commend the good thing that happened. I commend the good deeds that happen when people are out, and they're like, hey, we're going to film this thing, where we give this homeless guy something. We watch him, we film that, and it goes viral. And I can understand why it goes viral, because people want to admire that we need some good in the world. But here's what I want you to grasp. This is not what Jesus is talking about. This word servant is not about a theater, a viral experience. This is about being anonymous. This is about going into it and saying, there is an audience that I'm out to impress. And there is only one person in the audience. And it's God. And I want to live my life so that the one person in the world that I impress with everything I do at my job and everything I do in my home and everything I do in ministry and every time I do something good in the world, that it impresses God. That God, I can just do it in front of God and Him alone. I don't care that anybody else sees it, but that God sees it and knows it and knows that I am following Him because I would rather be great in the eyes of God than great in anybody else's eyes. I'd rather be great in the Creator's eyes who loves me whether I do things or not than to try to please everyone else. So Jesus leaves us with this question that I'll leave you with this morning. What do you desire most? To be honored by people or to be honored by God? To be anonymous. To say, I don't have to be out in front. Are you ready? And you might be like, ah, I don't know if I want that. Like, I... I still feel like I want to be impressive to others. It's a pretty exhausting ride. This is what Jesus is offering. He's offering you some freedom. Say, listen, you could try to please people who are never really going to be pleased. One word that's going to diminish you, or you can try to please God who loves you whether you do stuff or not. Who loves you because of who you are. You can be exhausted by trying to be the best parent, trying to keep up with everything making sure your kid's seen as the right thing. You can just say, you know what? I'm just a servant to my family, to my children, people around me. You can put all your energy into media posts and making sure you're liked and impressive and look at me and look what I did. But it gets tiring trying to measure up, doesn't it? Trying to check that out. It's disappointing when it doesn't work. Or you could stop trying to be popular in the eyes of others and just say, God, can I just bask in your popularity and what you think of me and how you love me. Because if you do that, if you say, God, I want to enter into an anonymous place of being a servant, it will stoke your desire for loving God. It will remind you constantly that the one thing you can count on in life, the one place that you can get all your value and significance from is not from others. It's from God and God. He is your source. And so Jesus invites us to be a servant. So here's what I invite you today. If inside that program guide you got today, there is a little pamphlet that says New Hope Ministries Food Drive. Can you pull that out? Look at that for a second. So we're going to partner with New Hope. This is the time of year where they need food. That's why we're partnering with them this time of year instead of in November because they said, we run out of food in the spring and no one ever wants to do food drives in the spring. So we said, let's be those people who say, we see hungry kids, we want them to be taken care of, and we can do this 
anonymous. Like those kids are never going to know your name. Right? You want to enter into this? Then you say, I'm going to do something that no one is going to know my name. I'm going to do it together with my church family. And we said we, we would love to pack 800 bags. But you know what that means? It means every one of us has to get in on this and say, and spread the word and say, hey, let's show up next week and let's not just bring one bag. Let's bring multiple bags. Let's make sure every table is stacked full so that we can come back together on the 21st, on Wednesday, 21st, and pack these bags together. Not because others see me, not because I'm impressive, but because, God, you care about them. And I just want to be a servant. I just want to serve you. You are my audience today, God. I want to come back with a heart full of love and say I love them and I'm going to be part of this. So I want to encourage you to put it on your calendar to to go out today maybe and be part of it. Say I'm going to get my bags today. But whatever you need to do, like next week's the date, bring it back together. And then that Wednesday following next Sunday, we're going to pack them together. We're going to pack all these bags and we're going to give them this anonymous gift. Hey, here it is. Our love, our servanthood on display in front of God together. So I want to encourage you to take that opportunity. There are lots of opportunities this time of the year to serve. And I would encourage you to serve, but not just to serve. Because this Jesus' invite to James and John wasn't just to serve. They were serving all the time. Jesus' invite to them was to be servants. And there's a difference. It's not about just doing good things. It's about saying, God, I'm all yours. I'm all in. I want to serve you. So whatever you ask me to be a part of, I'll be a part of. I'm going to step behind you, Jesus, and I'm going to follow you and serve just the way you did. So this morning, will you start thinking as you go into Easter, how do I renew my desire for God? I put on the heart of a servant. And I say, God, where can I serve? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, it is so tempting. So tempting us to live out, I just trying to be a, gain approval of others, trying to be impressive, trying to be liked, trying to be accepted. But you don't measure our lives by what we do, but rather how we love. And you start with saying you are love. You invite us into a relationship to believe and receive your forgiveness and say, I got a new day. I am loved by God. And now I can serve others, not because I need something from them, but because I want something for them. So God, help us today to discover humility. With all of our messiness and all of who we are, because of just how much you love us, help us to love others in the same way. And as we become servants, renew our desire for you. In Jesus' name. Hey, this morning, would you do this favor for me as you pull out your response card? You might have a lot of prayer requests this morning, some way that you want us to pray for you. We'd love to do that. But if, if you'll be a part of serving anonymously during this food drive and saying, we'll bring food, I'm all in. We just write food drive all in on your card today. It'd be an encouragement to me. It'd be an encouragement to each other. I'm going to pray for you this week. I'll put, mark that down. Make a choice today and respond. Say, I'm all in. I'll be part of it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to serve an honest. So take a few minutes, respond, and then we're going to worship together.